Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Hey, um, things are going to be done a little differently today, okay? Good with that? We're going to do the offering in just a few moments. Uh, the ushers are getting ready for that. That'll take place in a moment. If you're a guest with us, um, we, 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 this is part of the service that we do for, for our people. And you're welcome to participate if you want to, but we don't want you to feel obligated to give. Um, we, we're committed to it uh, because of what the Lord has done in our lives. Um, children, those of you River Kids, uh, you have the awesome privilege of heading out now uh, with our, our River Kids team. They're in the back, I think, gathering up and and uh, you have a special guest missionary today. And I know some of the adults are saying, well, why do we have to stay in here? Because you're not screened. See, I've, I've got a captive audience. They won't let you go back there with our River Kids. But River Kids, you can head on back um, for uh, just a very special time with uh, one of our retired missionaries from the IMB who served uh, Syrian refugees. And so he's going to have a, a lot to share with our, our young people this morning. And, and they're going to have a great time. There is a lot going on uh, here around the river. Um, next Sunday, in fact, I want to make sure that uh, you are aware of this. We're, we're grateful that our, our River Kids have been a part of our service uh, worship experiences. Next week, they're actually going to be up here with our worship team, and they're going to be co-leading worship, uh, some of the songs that they love to worship to. And so it's going to be a very special time of worship. I hope you'll make plans to be here uh, for that as well. It's going to be a great day. I heard, um, I'm, I'm going to ask the ushers, guy, if you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, go ahead and, and make your way down front. Uh, as I continue, I'm just going to keep talking while they're going to be receiving the offering. Um, I heard great things last week um, uh, in my absence when uh, Pastor Kurt stepped in, kind of at the last minute, and I'm so grateful for him doing that uh, so that Kathy and I could uh, attend uh, the memorial service for Pastor Terry's dad. Um, they are doing well, uh, I believe even in the midst of their sorrow. Uh, and they're very, very grateful for all, all the expressions of love and support that you guys have given. And uh, though I was away last week, I missed you. And I, I am glad, glad to be back. Um, and, and I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you're here with us. And I want to say this. If you are guesting with us, if, you're, if, if this is your first time at River Bluff, we are especially glad that you've joined us. So much so that we have a, a, a gift for you. I started to say a parting gift, but we don't want it to be a parting gift. We want it to be a welcoming gift. But you can get it on your way out, um, if you would. If you'll head straight down that hallway uh, at the end of the service, all the way down into our atrium, that big glassed-in room, there'll be somebody there by our connection center who will uh, just want to meet you and talk with you, get to know you for a minute, and give you a very, very special gift that will keep your cool drinks cool in a hot summer. That's all I'm going to say about it. You'll have to figure out the rest, okay? Um, but it, it, it'll be a great time. And um, speaking of gifts, we have a gift for everyone today, okay? Get your phones out. Our Wi-Fi password has changed. Some of you that have been trying to get on, the, on, on Wi-Fi and, and can't, there's a reason. Uh, we had to upgrade security, a new firewall. It, it just give us some time. It's going to get there. But um, if you will go to uh, your, your settings and, and find your Wi-Fi, if you go to Life at the River, you will see, I think we got a slide coming up. 
There it is. Life at the river. The password for that is River Connect. All lowercase. River hyphen connect. And you set your phone so that, you know, when you show back up in the building, it'll come. We've still got some tweaking to do uh, to, to, to get better coverage. But um, just so you, you, you know that, that's a gift to you today. Okay, do you feel gifted? Okay, feel gifted. Okay, good. I'm glad. Now our Wi-Fi probably just crashed because everybody's gone at one time. But um, it'll be a great joy when it all is working perfectly. Just give us a little more patience. We really are just trying to secure uh, information around here a little bit better. Now, um, I, I believe there are more gifts to come today. And it, I'm, I'm excited and I'm, I'm very expectant about what God's going to do. I believe that God wants to set some people free today. Maybe, maybe one of those people's you. Maybe it's from a suffering that you're going through. Maybe it's some shame that you're still struggling with. Maybe, maybe it's this mode of striving and searching that you just don't seem to be able to make a connection. And I, some of you are hurting. And God wants to set you free from that. Maybe you're feeling disconnected or dismissed or marginalized or discarded. And God wants you to know today in Jesus... He wants to change all of that. You know, one of the things I, I hope that all of us will do is, uh, is show up. Well, let me ask this. Did anybody in here today other than me show up expecting God to move? I mean, do, do, you, do you expect God to move? One of the prayers that I would just encourage you again, I've encouraged this before for you to pray is, there's a little bump that you go over to get on our campus. And I would just encourage you as you drive onto, every time you drive onto our campus, you will just whisper that, that little prayer, God, I want more of you. God, I, I want more of you. Just, God, I want more of you. We've got a group of young people among us today who this coming week are going to Fuge Camp. Um, they're going because they, they want more of God. They want to connect with him in new ways. They want to know more about, about him, his purpose, and his ways. If you are one of our middle schoolers going uh, to camp at Fuge tomorrow, would you stand, please? Yeah, you, yeah, clap for them. Stay, stay standing for just a second. Stay standing for a second. This isn't all of them. There's the ones that were here today. But here's what, uh, and adults, if you're one of our adult leaders that's going with them, stand please. Um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find one of these people that's standing. So a few of you gather around them and just put your hands on them. We're going to pray over them right now. Okay? Just, just pray over those. I mean, you don't have to come from over here to over there. Just some people right around here, close, close to some of our folks. Just, uh, just go lay hands on them and, and pray for them if you would. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, God we come we come in that powerful name of Jesus we come saying today God we want more of you and especially these young people God that are taking a week out of their summer to go to this discipling camp for the purpose of growing in you God we pray for great things to happen we pray, Father, that you would move on their lives. We pray that they would be touched by you in a way that will forever change them, God. We ask you, Father, to give them strength, to give them encouragement, God, to bless them, to fill them with knowledge of you, personal, intimate, not, not facts, God, but let them encounter the true and living God. And I pray that maybe even uh, this morning, as we open your word, that, that journey would begin today. And not just for them, but all of us gathered, God. We want more of you, Jesus. 
So come and speak to us, Holy Spirit. Fill us now. Fill me now, God. I pray that you would take the meditations of my heart, the reflections of my mind on your word, and that you would use it. Hide me behind the cross of Jesus. And Jesus, speak to us now. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. Thank you. We're, we're going to keep praying for you. Their, their names are listed in your newsletter. So you can pull that out this week and continue praying for them. Another way that we, we come together to seek more of God corporately is quarterly we have a family meeting. And tonight is our family meeting when we come together to pray, to gather to pray about what God is calling us into. Our, our elder team will be giving a bit of a report. It's not going to be a huge thing, but a, a bit of a report on some of the things we God leading us towards in the retreat that we went on uh, a few weeks ago. So I hope you'll come out tonight at 645 to be a part of that special time of praying together and hearing together all that God's doing. If you've got your Bibles, open them, turn them on, whatever it is you do uh, with your Bible to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. While you're looking there, I'm going to have some pictures thrown up on the screen. I want you to see if you can tell me what this is, okay, from these pics. What? Star Wars? No, it's not part of the inner interior of the Millennium Falcon. No, it's not. Here's another one. Another hint. What? The Collider. Okay, here's one more picture. Just because so just I have the picture. You, you, can, you can shut that down. This is the, that, that, those were pictures of the Hadron Collider. And the Hadron Collider is this, it's a thing, it's near the border of, of, of Switzerland and France. It's about 27 kilometers of tubing, piping. It's very sophisticated, obviously. And what they do is they, 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 they accelerate protons and send them in opposite directions until they get to the other side and they crash. And there's this incredible release of energy that happens upon impact. And they run all kinds of tests and some really cool stuff that scientists have discovered out of that. But what's really neat is through this collision, great change can happen. Great power is released. For those of you who've been hanging out with us this summer, you know that we are in a series called Collide, that we've entitled Collide. And the same thing is true, and I believe we're going to see that as we walk through John chapter 4. Um, th th what we're going to look at is the longest recorded conversation that Jesus had with an individual. Longest conversation exchange that we see in all of, all of Scripture. And there's this collision that happens for this, this woman. Someone who is in need of grace. Someone who has a past. Someone that some of us might say, she's got some junk, man. And hopefully we'll see ourselves in this. Because we're going to look at somebody who found themselves in a complex, complex situation that could be very hard to understand by others. And because of that, she was discouraged. She was felt dejected. She was even despised in her own community. And I want you to just see what it looks like for a life that's living that way to come face to face with Jesus. Because there's good news this morning for those who feel discarded or, or despised or dismissed. And so that means if you're here this week and maybe you got some stuff that it would kill you for anybody to find out about. Maybe you, maybe you got some stuff that you're embarrassed of right now. Maybe you're terrified that if somebody were to find out, you can never look them in the eye again. Well, if that's you on any level, let me say welcome. 
you're in good company. We're, we've all got our stuff. Every last, last one of us. And in fact, one of the things that I have prayed this week that Jesus would do is that he would dig up some of your stuff today. He would dig it up, some stuff that maybe you have kept locked up, not so he could cast you out or condemn you, but rather that he could show you that he's the only person in all of the universe that knows all about all of your stuff but loves you perfectly anyway. And I'm just trusting that the grace of God is actually going to call you out today in order to pull you in a little closer because that's who Jesus is. Jesus is compassionate but Jesus is aggressive when it comes to relentlessly loving you. He, he will not rest on this. But here's the tragedy for so many. The tragedy is that so many of us is that place that Jesus wants to do his greatest work in your life is probably the place you spend most of your time trying to hide. It's the place that you think, man, I'd like a do-over. Man, I'd like a time machine to travel back in time and kind of undo that. But here's the good news. God has something better than time travel for you. He has grace. He has grace that is sufficient for anything that you're wishing that you could go back and change. And John 4 is the record of this discarded woman colliding with that great grace of God found only in Jesus and she gets forever changed. And so what I want to do is I want us to read through this, this, this encounter, this narrative of this encounter and we're going to stop along the way and unpack some things as we do this. So starting in verse 1, it says this, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now, I want to pause and make something clear. Jesus was the son of God. He didn't had to do anything. Okay? Not, not from the perspective of he didn't have any choice in the matter. But the text says that. So what, what is that about? Now, why, and why is it important? See, Samaria was at this time was the, the most direct short route from Judea to Galilee. And most travelers, most Jewish travelers, would purposefully go out of their way to avoid it. And we'll see why in just a second. But, but basically, what we need to come to understand is that Samaria wasn't a geographic necessity. Jesus could have followed other Jewish travelers on their route around it. It wasn't necessary for his travels, but it was necessary for his mission. Because Jesus had a, an appointment. Jesus had to pass through Samaria to fulfill his father's plan. His father's mission. And, and he passed into this despised town. And he extends grace to this despised woman. Look at verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. Near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is about noon. It was the middle of the day. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now again, just I want to pause something that's kind of chasing a rabbit. But I, I just want to point something out. I, I don't know if you picked up and, and noticed this. How many women does it take to go get water? One. How many men does it take to go get food? 
I, I just got to point out the truth, fellas. I'm sorry. It's in the word there. You know, 2,000 years, the Bible's still pointing out truth. It's kind of a 1 to 12 ratio. When you got to get something done, you know, you can get 12 men or one woman. There you go. Okay. Now, before I get into more trouble, verse 9, keep moving. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, remember, I said most people would have traveled way around Samaria because back in that day, back in even times before, the northern part of Israel had been conquered by the Assyrians. And when they did, they, they kind of moved in there and Assyrians and Israelites began intermarrying and it, the children were kind of this new race, this new nationality of people that became known as Samaritans and they were hated by both the Jews and the, the Assyrians. And for those of you that think racism started, you know, here in your generation or something, racism in that day was no better, no worse than it was today. Because racism is a problem of sin. And it supersedes all time barriers. But th these were people that were hated so much that Jews would walk sometimes two and a half to three days out of their way to get home to avoid Samaria. I know people who won't walk a 5K just to get a dozen Krispy Kremes, you know. M much less, you know, three days going out of your way because you don't like... That's really, really, really not liking somebody, you know, to, 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 to do that. To, to, to this, you know, Samaritan woman, she expected to be wholeheartedly rejected by Jesus. You know, she, she would have expected that because the Jews saw them as inferior, as, as ceremonially unclean, as, as racially impure, as religiously, as, as heretics. And so the Samaritans were to be avoided at all costs. And so there are lots of problems here when Jesus decides to, one, walk through Samaria, but then to sit down in this very public place and engage a Samaritan woman. There are these ethnic and racial and religious and cultural rules that Jesus is breaking to, to be with her. And yet Jesus had to go to Samaria to connect with this woman. In fact, if, if we read it again, we'll see that Jesus sat down by the well and waited for her. God waiting for her. This, this Samaritan outcast woman, this, this divorcee as we'll see. And then Jesus proceeds to ask to drink from her bucket with her saliva in it. It, it would have been a, a, a about like a, a Jewish per, person eating raw pig flesh. It would have been that offensive to a Jew what Jesus was doing. Asking to drink from, from what she had drawn. Now, just give me grace for just a minute on this because I want you to see how unbelievable, why this woman was so shocked by this. It would, it would have been like in the South in the 1950s for a, a, a white man going up to a black man who was at a, a fountain label colored and after, after that black man got his cup of water from it asking, can I drink from your cup? It would have been that shocking. It would have been that overwhelming and unthinkable. It was inconceivable to this woman that Jesus, a Jew, would be asking her anything, much less to drink from what she drank from. See, you got to see that Jesus is shattering every notion that society has 
about what is and is not acceptable. He's showing his willingness that he will offend every cultural norm if they're sinful. Jesus will stand against racism at every turn. Just by chatting with this woman, Jesus is, is just pointing to the beauty of how deeply held his belief is that racism is wrong. And that how he is willing to share with anyone from any background, no matter their sin or shame, if they would but receive him, he will take them into his family. Even, even the placement of this story points to this. If you go back one chapter to John chapter 3, you'll see this story about Nicodemus. He has this, Jesus has this conversation with this very well-respected Pharisee named Nicodemus. And in that, in that Pharisee, we come to understand that, you know, th this guy was thought of as best as you could be thought of. But Jesus points out that everybody, even the most religious person, is in need of grace. Then when we get over to, to chapter 4, Jesus shows that everybody, no matter who you are, where, what you've come from, or what you've done, you're not beyond the reach of grace. Everybody needs it, but nobody's beyond the reach of it. Jesus is this equal opportunity Savior. And so Jesus had to go through Samaria. Because he had this divine appointment. He, he had to offer this woman new life. And so when, when Jesus decides to ask her for a drink from her jar, she is so confused. It's like, why in the world you're supposed to have a problem with me? But what she doesn't realize is that Jesus is about to do something beyond this physical thirst. He's going to address the thirst of her soul. So verse 10, look at it with me. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, he will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, the living water that Jesus offered her is the very thing that every soul that has ever lived was designed to receive. That living water is a relationship with the creator God, the God of all creation. And drinking that living water leads to new life that's made possible and available through Jesus through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He's that living water. And I don't know about you, but I can personally relate to what Jesus says to her here. I, I, I get it. Because for the first 16 years of, of my life before I met Christ, my life was thirsty. I, I, I was thirsty. Few people around me knew it, but I was thirsty for love and acceptance. I was thirsty for meaning and purpose. And I thought, I just thought, you know what will get me those things? Maybe it'll be the, the next athletic achievement, or maybe it'll be the right girlfriend, or maybe the next party. And I, I would pursue those things, but, but no. I would always remain thirsty. And you've been there. 
Every one of us have been there. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you thought, maybe you thought the good job would make the thirst go away. But it hasn't. And you're still thirsty. Some of you thought it was getting married. And seven years in, you've started finding out things that you didn't know about marriage. And you're still thirsty. Some of you thought it would be kids, that kids would make that thirst go away. And you love your kids. And when they get into middle school, some of you have thought about putting them in a well. But that's okay because they're still thinking about putting you in one too, you know. Some of you thought that, you know, that would, that would solve the thirst, but then there's empty nest. And, and the thirst is, is back. Some of you thought that, you know, I'm, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to recalibrate my life. But eventually you recognize that there's just another goal. And more comparisons to somebody else that leave you utterly dissatisfied. And you're still thirsty. I don't know what your well is. Maybe, maybe you're drinking from a well of, of relationships. Or maybe you're trying to drink from a well of new cars or new destinations. Or the next big thing or wardrobes. Or, I don't know what it is. Now, that well, whatever it is for you, it, it might, it might satisfy you for a day. It might even satisfy you for a, a season. But eventually, whatever that well is, it's not Jesus, will, you'll be thirsty again. Drinking from that well won't last. But see, this is the, why the good news of Jesus is so beautiful because the gospel tells us that he's offering something that is eternal that begins now. Something that will start now and last. And it's the gospel. And the gospel, the good news is that Jesus lived the life that you should have lived but haven't been able to. He died the death that you were condemned to die but won't have to. See, the good news is that Jesus took upon himself all of that sin and shame and our condemnation, all those things that we're embarrassed about, he took it all on himself. And then he, he, he took his perfect, his spotless righteousness and he credited it to your account if you receive him. He, he, he did this in the front of God, in, in the presence of God. He, he, he took it upon himself, our sin. He credited us with his righteousness. He took our sin to the grave, but didn't even stay there. He got up. He, he, he arose he died with our sin and our shame and our suffering and our sorrow. Everything that, where you feel dismissed and dejected, he died but he didn't stay dead. He, he rose again to show that he had power over all of that stuff. And he still has power today. Therefore, when we receive him, we receive eternal life now. We receive eternal joy now, eternal communion now. We receive eternal acceptance and satisfaction. That's what the message of the gospel is. And see, Jesus didn't go to that well that day because he was thirsty. He went to that well that day to quench the thirst of this woman. And so he offers her living water. And look how she responds. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here. I want to go back to that word here in just a minute. 
so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now I don't know how many of you felt like me when you read that but it's kind of like, Jesus, man. Why in the world would you come just pounce on her like that? Why, why you got to go off on her like that? You know? I, I, I'd want to handle that a little softer. kind of. But Jesus just, he rolls it. It's almost like he went for a gut punch here. And, you know, and we, we see her doing instinctively what most people would do. You know, one of the things that, as if you go and you read and study about this, one of the things that will be a recurring theme around this woman's life, um, especially in evangelical circles and in sermons and writings on this, this passage, is that most people consider this woman an adulteress. That's kind of the, the, the label that gets a, attached to her. But I want us to, to think, where, where does that come from? Jesus doesn't call her that. You know, we want to be people who are going to be faithful to the scriptures. And we need, we need to actually remember the, the Bible never tells us about what happened specifically to the first five husbands. For, for all we know, all five of those guys died. Which is maybe why the sixth guy won't marry her because he's looked at the handwriting on the wall, you know. Um, it's not me, you know. See, most people always go straight to the assumption that she's some type of tramp that's jumping from man to man to man. But the scriptures don't tell us that. The scriptures don't give us that insight. See, when, when we dig into this a little more, what we may come to understand is that she was, she may have been divorced five times. She may have been, you know, and, and don't forget this. Remember, in this day and time that we're reading about, the woman did not divorce. She didn't have that authority. She couldn't do that. This was only done by men. You know, this woman has been told probably five different times, you're not wanted. You're expendable. You're not worthy of love. You're not worthy of acceptance. And now she's out for the sixth time getting water for some guy that probably only wants her for servitude or, or their own sexual gratification. And she shows up at this, well see, it's so easy for us to criticize. It's so easy for us to slap a big scarlet letter on this woman and we may not really understand what's going on. And so many people in our culture end up discarded because we judge so quickly. Even the church here judges this woman in a way that the scripture itself doesn't give us. Now, now please hear me say this. Is she a sinner? I don't want to glaze over this. Is, does she have her own giant bag of stuff like me? Like you? She, she does. But please understand this. We need to think deeply about what she went through. In a culture that's unlike ours, a culture where they had, nobody had ever uttered the word gender equality, in a culture where women were more property than people. That's what, that's what we're reading about here. Jesus steps into that. And for a woman in that culture in that day to be divorced meant you would either starve, you would have to sell yourself into slavery or prostitute yourself. If you didn't have family to take you in, those were your only three options. 
And again, I don't want to skim over this. She shouldn't have been living with this guy. Yes, it, it's sin. But please, when you read her story, don't put all of our modern trappings of our culture on it. You know, her past wasn't solely broken only by her poor decisions. Others had made decisions that impacted her. So ultimately, we see her at this well. This, this woman who never truly experienced love or care or grace, as we can tell. A woman deeply, deeply wounded, so much so that her own people dismissed her and despised her. That's why she's at the well in the middle of the day. Every other respectable woman would have gone out early that morning with a group. One for safety and security, the other to avoid the heat of the day. But most likely because she had been despised and discarded, her own people saw her as this sinful, shameful woman of reproach. Someone who was damaged good. Someone that some of them may even thought may be as a threat to their own husbands. And therefore, this, she was living alone. She was living with regrets and broken relationships. She was living in sin of her choosing and sin that others had hoisted upon her. But then she meets Jesus. She comes in contact with a friend to the lonely. To the comforter of the hurting. To savior to sinners. Jesus has this divine appointment and he sits there and I still can't get over God waiting on her. God in the flesh, Jesus, waiting on her. Had to go through Samaria to, to, to meet her and wait on her to get there. And maybe perhaps for the very first time in her whole life, this woman meets a man who instead of taking from her gifts to her, Instead of only being loved, and not even loved, but really used, never shown dignity or respect, but Jesus does. And he speaks truth to her. And he, he loves her without using her. And so, when you see Jesus calling her out, calling out her sin, he isn't just trying to condemn her. He isn't just going after this woman. What he's trying to do is expose the thirst that's inside of her. So that she will drink deeply from the living water that he's offering her. He's trying to point out something that she may not even be aware of. Because he wants to draw her in. And so that's why when he offers it to her and she gets it, immediately she says, yes. Please give me this water. Please give it to me so that I don't have to keep coming back here. Do you notice that? She said, so I don't have to keep, remember that word here? What, what she's saying is, I don't want to have to keep coming back here to draw water because here is the place where I'm publicly shamed every day. Here is a daily reminder of my sorrow and my being dismissed and despised by my community. Here reminds me that I have nobody who loves me. Here is a daily reminder of my painful, hurtful past. Here is where I'm rejected. And Jesus responds to her by saying, I know. I, I, I know that. I, I know everything about you. I, I see you completely. I, I get that. I see where you're hurting. I see the other wells you've been drinking from. I see that you desire to be loved and desire to be accepted around here. But Jesus says, now I'm here. 
I'm here at that place. Not to shame you, but to save you. I'm here not to push you away, but to pull you in. I'm here so you don't have to hide anything any longer. I know it all, and I am standing here. And I'm not going anywhere. I'm not, I'm not going to leave you. Take this living water. Take my hand. Take my name. Drink from this living water, he tells her. Come, come to me. Friends, the, the way that Jesus extended that offer today, he's extending it to you again. He extends it every single day. But, but don't, don't receive it lightly. Receive it in its fullest measure because it came at a great cost. This Jesus that, that gives this living water is the Savior who would be crucified to death on a cruel cross and while hanging there in John 19 verse 28 would cry out, I thirst. Je Jesus himself, instead of drinking from the living water, Jesus willingly, lovingly chooses to drink the cup of all of God's wrath of sin and death so that you and I could drink in salvation. That's why Jesus thirsted. Now, I don't have any idea where in your life you may feel dejected or discarded or dismissed or maybe even despised. But I do know this. Some of you are drinking from sources that will never ultimately satisfy. Some of you are, 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 are drinking from sources that will continue to bring you thirst. And I'm, I'm just pleading with you today to put down your jar. Put down that jar. Move away from that well and drink deeply from the grace that Jesus offered to you. Let's look at verse 13, 19. Jesus has gotten really personal and he's taken the, the conversation in a very uncomfortable manner. And, and so the woman says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. My kids say that my wife has this gift of changing the subject, you know, which she does. This woman is kind of like, okay, Jesus, as long as we're going to talk about my sex life, what do you think of worship? You know, do we do it on this mountain or in Jerusalem? I mean, it's just shifting. How many of you, if people were showed up and started poking into your past, wouldn't try to change the subject. You know, it's, it's a natural reflect. Now, now at the surface, you know, it may look like she's trying to avoid this question. And there, to some degree, she, she probably is. But honestly, I think there's something more here. And if we'll pause just a second, I think if we unpack it, we're going to see that there's an actual deeper connection to her longing, to, to her thirst. Let me ask you this question. What exactly is a place of worship? What exactly is, is a place of worship? It's the place you go to meet God. It's a place you go to to find atonement for, for your sins. It's a place you go to to be forgiven. It's a place that you go to to be accepted. And so... Maybe she's not really stirring the conversation away, although she may be. She may be saying, okay, what will actually satisfy? 
Jesus, you're, you're obviously a prophet to know uh, about my life. So please tell me, where can I go? Where can I go to worship? Where can I go to get cleansed of all of this? Where can I go to be made whole again? Jesus, now that you've told me there's living water, where is this place that I can actually worship? Where I can, I can be whole in front of God. Where, where can that happen? Where I can be accepted? Because I've been coming here every day and it's not here. Where do I go, Jesus? Verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus responds to her question about worship by saying, you're asking the wrong question. Worship is not about geographic locality. It's about relational reality. It's, it's not about where. It's all about who. And Jesus is standing in front of her that day and saying, I am the place of worship. I, I, I am that place. I am the temple. I am the only way to God. I am the only way to find forgiveness. I am the only bringer of peace. I am the only place where sin sacrifice was made once for all. I'm the only place where you can be made clean, where you will be satisfied, where you can be made new. So please, woman, come. Drink from this well. And, and Jesus is saying that, River Bluff, today, I believe, to you. Once again, to me, that right now, wherever you're seated by, whatever well, Jesus is there waiting for you because that's what Jesus does. He shows up at your well of emptiness because he's got something better. He seeks out where, you're, where you feel discarded or dejected or despised. He empathizes with those who feel down and out. The Bible tells us he weeps with those who's weeping. He's waiting at your well, whatever it's been, to give you something better. He, he can set you free. He's, he's the mighty one. He's the deliverer, the redeemer, the restorer, the giver of hope. He's our peace and our life. Some of you are here today and years ago you took that drink that drink of living water and it filled your soul and you trusted Christ and you began that journey and you kept going back for that feeling but something happened and you went back to one of those old wells that never satisfy that only increase your thirst and Jesus is here today back at that well where he met you before saying that living water is still for you Walk away. Leave that well. Come back and drink from this living water. 
Let it renew your life today because I'm the only way. I'm the only truth. I am the only life that will give you hope. You can meet me here today. And he can give your past new meaning. He can give you new purpose and new hope or renewed hope. You know, if you're here today and you feel discouraged, Jesus is waiting for you. If you feel discarded, if you feel unloved, he's waiting for you. He's offering you the greatest thing. He's offering you once again himself. Look at verse 27. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman, please grab this, the woman left her water jar. She left that which she had been bringing. She left that jar that she had been lugging around and drinking from. She left that. There's a whole sermon there, by the way, but I don't have time for that today. Okay? But here's the first thing that I want to just kind of point out from this collision of grace. And it's this. The grace of Jesus can deliver me from any captivity. That jar that she kept dragging back and forth, I believe is a representation of her captivity. And one of the ways that you can know for certain that you are drinking from living water is it starts when you put your jar down. Whatever it is that you thought would bring you satisfaction that makes you thirstier and thirstier, you got to put it down. She put down her jar. She left it that day. That jar that's gotten you in the mess that you're in, you got to put that jar down. That jar that always makes you, leaves you feeling dejected or despised or dismissed, discarded, you got to put that jar down. She left her jar. And then look what, what happened when she finally came to her senses and put that jar down. So she left her jar of water and went away to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Now please remember this. Don't forget this. Why was this woman at the well in the first place in the middle of the day? Because she was avoiding people. She didn't want anything to do with this people. Now she's had this life-altering collision with the grace of Jesus. And when that, when that happened, new power got released. Better than the Hadron Collider. New, 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 new strength came. There was this incredible release. And now she's running into town... To tell them the very last thing she ever wanted anybody to think about was her past. She's running into town shouting about her past. Let me introduce you to a man who told me all about my past. Because her eyes had been opened to the beautiful reality, the majesty, the all-sufficientness of the grace of Jesus. Her life was transformed and overwhelmed. And this is the second thing that I want you to take away today, to see today, is this. Because of the, the grace of Jesus, it can reset my regret. I don't care what your regret is. The grace of Jesus can reset it. He resets her regret that day. Her past is no longer some, that thing she'd been running from, she's now shouting in the streets. That natural disposition to, to hide 
because she had been graced with great grace, he reset her past and now she goes from this, this past of a scarlet letter. It's now like a, a super, super S for salvation on her chest. She's running out saying, I want you to meet somebody. He can tell you all the sordid details of my past, but he loved me. And he gave me new life because he's powerful. He is the Christ. And so this woman who spent all of her time hiding is now, is now out. She's been transformed. She's, she's a living testimony of what living water could do. Jesus, Jesus has given her past new meaning. He's given her new hope and a new purpose. And she dives into that purpose. Look, look at this in verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. He told me my past. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Man, that's, you got to catch the beauty of that. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Friends, the, the grace of Jesus can deliver you from any captivity. Any contaminated well you've been drinking from, he can set you free from that. He can reset your regret. And here's the last thing that I see from this story is that the grace of Jesus can use my story, no matter how sordid it is, no matter what my past is, he can use my story for his glory. He, he can take my story. See, this is an incredible encounter. This, this unnamed Samaritan woman was probably the least likely prospect for salvation in that entire village. But God uses her to bring saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to this entire town almost. This despised Samaritan woman takes Jesus to her people. Interestingly to me is they were a despised people. Remember, they were despised by the religious elite of the day. And the gospel comes powerfully to the Gentile world. She becomes one of the first great missionaries to the Gentile world. I challenge you to search the gospels. You will not see a greater outbreak of revival than right here. This whole town coming out to see Jesus. And here's something interesting. It was to me anyway. A number of church historians tell us that this woman went on to lead her two sons to Jesus. This is not in scripture. This is just church history. But that she went on to lead her two sons to Jesus and that they went with her and took the gospel to North Africa. And that they were martyred as missionaries of the gospel by the Emperor Nero. Church historians tell us that her name was Fatina. And she goes from being this despised outcast to this devoted evangelist all because she meets Jesus at her well. At her well of emptiness. At her well of dejection. She tastes the living water and becomes one of the greatest missionaries to where she lived, worked, and played. And the gospel message is that can happen for all of us. We can be set free our past can be reset and our story matters in the hand of God. See, by his grace, we no longer have to be a slave to anything. 
He resets our regrets when, when we collide. You're not your mistakes. You're not the sum of anything but the sum of God's grace if you're in Jesus. And because of his grace, nothing, nothing ever has to be the same. Nothing has to be the same. Starting today, everything can change again for you. Even if it's the 14th time that you've had to come back and put down your well and drink from the living water. And maybe that's what Jesus wants for you today. And so here's what, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to pray in a second and then our praise team is going to, to, to sing the first couple of verses of a new song. And I want you to drink it in. I want you to receive it. Just stay seated. And just kind of drink in those first two verses. And let it wash over you. And then we're going to stand and worship and sing it together. Let me pray for us. Father God, we come right now in the powerful name of Jesus. That name that brings living water. That name that meets us at our well of sorrow or suffering. Our well of, of dejection. Our well of feeling discarded. And if you're here today, right now, Jesus wants you to know you can come back. You can come back and drink from that well of living water. But you got to put your jar down. And maybe today, before you leave here, you want to go to one of the crosses on either side of, of our building here, of our auditorium, and just write my jar and just leave it there. Just as an act of worship. Maybe you want to do that while we're singing. But you decide today to put down your jar and to drink from the living water, the well of Jesus Christ, as we worship together. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.